Welcome to Half Finished to Done, a podcast for passionate business owners like you who are ready to stop procrastinating and start finishing all of your half-done projects. I'm your host, Christina, and I'm looking forward to helping you finish your projects in a calm, sustainable way using a simple, repeatable process. All along the way, we'll be working through the mental, emotional, and logistical obstacles that are standing between you and extraordinary projects. Let's get into it. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. Excited to have you here for another episode. So this episode came about as I was recording another episode about projects and why they matter. I was racking my brain about every single one of the projects that I've created over the past three years of being in business. And there was quite a few that made me cringe where I was like, oh yeah, no, I wouldn't recommend that. Oh yeah, no, I wouldn't recommend that either. And so I was like, I need to make a list of everything that I did wrong so that I can teach what I would do instead now based on what I've learned the hard way. So that is this episode, best practices for better projects. The first thing to do is to question the assumption that you can't be creative on a timeline. You've heard me probably refer to this as the motivation fairy or the passion fairy, and we act like there's just a fairy who either blesses us with motivation for the day or doesn't, and that leaves us feeling very out of control with our emotions. Like they're totally unpredictable. We can't possibly predict what we're going to work on and when because we don't know if we'll be motivated. So I want to have you question all of that, even when you're doing creative work. So the best example that I think of with this is my client who created a musical album that she wrote, sang, played the instruments for, and then published on Spotify in eight weeks. And I think she easily could have told herself, like, this is creative. I can't possibly control the timeline of this. But she just took it on and she did it in eight weeks. So just start entertaining the possibility that you might have more control over your creativity than you think you do. And I'll give you the way that I know that this is true. I run my clients through a really special workshop called the Oprah Million Dollar Challenge. We do it in week three of the eight-week half-finished-to-done program, and it's specifically designed to break their brains about their chosen project. So they've already taken inventory of their projects, they've chosen the one they want to work on, and they're about to make their project plan. And what I do is I give them a bunch of imaginary scenarios. I'm like, okay, you have to do this for your project, and if you do... Oprah will give you $1 million, no strings attached, no money taken out for taxes, no paperwork. So an example of that is instead of letting your project take the next five weeks, what if you only had one week? How would you make it happen for a million dollars? And what will happen is people come up with super creative ideas that they wouldn't have come up with otherwise. So if you are working on a creative project and you're like, I can't do this on a timeline, just ask yourself, if there was a million dollars on the line, would I find a way to make this creativity happen on demand? And the answer is probably yes. So keep that in mind is that number one, question the assumption that creativity cannot happen on a timeline because I've seen it happen a million times. The second best practice that I want to offer is creating just-in-time projects. So what I mean by that is creating projects as you need them and not before. I learned this the hard way early on in my business. I would take myself to Starbucks and I would sit for hours and I would create these awesome workbooks full of these incredible prompts. I had like three different workbooks. I had an ebook called How to Find Your Passion in Easy Steps. I had like all of these things and they were wonderful. And I felt so dedicated and committed because I was working on my business. 
nobody was downloading them. Nobody was using them because I didn't have any clients and I didn't have enough of a community. I did that with tons of things in my business and it was so painful to create, feel so good about the creation, know that it was valuable, but to not have people take me up on that value. But it was just that I was doing the projects before I actually needed them. So my recommendation, if you're feeling any resistance to a project is ask yourself, is it possible that this isn't procrastination resistance? This is me being tuned into the fact that this project is not ready yet. It's not its time yet. And I know that subconsciously. Another way that I see this show up for people is that they'll be creating like a very in-depth, intensive course, but they haven't actually coached anyone on their process. They haven't actually delivered any of their offer one-on-one. So they don't know if it works and they don't have people who are ready yet to take them up on that course when it is finished. So they put their heart and soul into the course and then there's nobody on the receiving end. So that's an example of a project that it might be better to strategically procrastinate, intentionally delay until it's actually time to work on that. And I just love the term just-in-time projects because to me, it's like this knowing that I'll know the right time to work on it and I know that I'll get it done when it's needed and not a minute before. All right, the third mistake I've made and that I've seen tons of clients do, so turning this around into a best practice, is spend time revamping and repurposing old projects. We get so caught up in the bright, shiny new projects and like the creation mode. Most of us like creating more than we like editing and more than we like simplifying. But what happens is we've created all this amazing stuff. It usually doesn't get the result that we wanted. And so we throw it away and we go out and we create something brand new. We get that hit of dopamine. We get the excitement of taking on a new project. And then more often than not, the exact same thing happens. We put that out in the world doesn't get the result we want, and then we're back to the drawing board yet again. The antidote to this is to really take time to dig through what you've already created in the past and see if you can repurpose it or revamp it, maybe edit it, simplify it, just put it out in the world in a different format that would be more useful than the original format. A perfect example for me with this is my challenges. I love creating them. It's so fun. I get that like rush of coming up with something new. But this year I've committed to only running challenges that I ran last year. And what it's making me do is it's making me pull up all of the marketing emails, all of the copy, all of the format and the process. And what I'm seeing specifically is how overcomplicated I made it. And I'm giving myself the opportunity to simplify and constrain the second time around to give more impact in a less overwhelming way. So that's a really big challenge for me. It's not the challenge that I necessarily want to take on, but it's an important challenge for me to solve. So that's why I'm doing it. Another thing that came up for me as I was looking back over all of the projects that I've done in my business is how often I tried to learn a million different skill sets at the exact same time and how overwhelming and honestly disheartening that was. I was taking in lots of bits and pieces, but I wasn't becoming a master of any of the skill sets that I most wanted to feel comfortable with. So my best practice with that is leaning on my eight-week sprint to inform me of what the most needed next skill set is. 
So whatever project I'm working on, I ask myself for this project to have the maximum return on investment, what is the number one skill set that I need here? And then I trust myself that that's the right answer. And I go all in on that one skill set until I'm at a level of proficiency that I like. The one caveat here is if you're a person who likes to learn just for learning's sake, do that on your own time. Like do that separately, get your rocks off learning something new, but in your business and in your projects, focus on one specific skill set. That's my best advice. My next best practice is one of my hardest, but it is do it bare minimum style. What this means is make the project as simple and streamlined as possible for yourself, but also for your stakeholders, the people who are going to benefit from this project. I know it's cliche, but sometimes less really is more, but we tend to think that more is more. At least I do. I'm like, put everything that they could ever possibly need to know into this one five-day challenge. And then I've already mentioned when I look back, I'm like, wow, that, that was definitely overwhelming. I definitely should have put less there. So the idea that people tend to get more value the less bombarded they are with information, the simpler it is. So that is a benefit to you because it makes your projects easier and faster and more efficient, but it also creates more value for your stakeholders. My next best practice is to really get to know your zone of value and then spend as much time as possible in that zone of value. So what that means is looking at where do your interests, your desires, your preferences, and your strengths overlap with what your stakeholders need from you. I'll give you a super simple example from my life. I used to do webinars at the beginning of my business because everyone, quote unquote, said that I should do webinars. And I would sit behind a screen talking into what felt like a black hole. Even if there were people there, I wasn't interacting. And I was like, are they even listening? Are they just like cooking? Are they puttering? I don't know what is happening here. And I hated it. So I was like, that is not my zone of value. If I am this unhappy, It's not a mindset issue. It's just, I should figure out a different way to deliver this value in a way that works for me, but also works for my clients. So what I started doing is interactive workshops. So if you've ever done a workshop with me, you know that I require people to turn on their videos. That lets me read the body language. It lets me read like tone, people's facial expressions. And it just makes for a much more interesting, engaging, and alive interaction versus a webinar. So that is one way that I've learned to live into my zone of value. Okay, this one ties back to the idea of just-in-time projects, and it's the idea of earning the right to work on specific projects. Now, this thought might not work for you, so if it doesn't create a good feeling for you, don't use this thought. But one of the thoughts that I love in my business is I'm earning the right to work on that. I think as a business owner who really values passion and energy and motivation and excitement, I have a tendency to feel like I should feel that way all the time and I should never feel bored. So what that has led me to do is to take on projects before I was ready for them, to take on too many projects at the same time, to take on projects that were outside of my zone of value, and to get started on projects too fast without thinking of the potential outcomes, the potential ROI, the potential value of that project. So when I think the thought I'm earning the right to work on that project, what it does for me is it slows me down. It makes me check in. Am I really ready for this? Is this really the best next project? 
does this actually maximize what I'm trying to maximize in my business right now? Or is this a distraction that's leading me away from another opportunity? And then if my answer to any of those questions is I should wait, then I enlist that thought, I'm earning the right to work on this project. And it gets me excited to table it, but know that I'm going to get there in the future. It's like this intentional delayed gratification, but I like it. (laughs) And I think that the other feeling it creates for me is responsible. Like I'm really looking out for myself and my business and my future by being selective about what I take on right now. And this one right here might be the most important best practice that I have learned over the years. Stop shifting or lowering the result that you want. And for the love of God, do not do it from a negative emotion. So I used to do this in two ways. One is I would always be shifting my goal. So for launching, for example, I'd be like, I want to sell five spots. I want to sell eight spots. I want to sell 10 spots, actually five. And I was always changing the goal. And so I never had to work on my mindset because I was always just fixated on what should the goal be versus here's the goal. What do I need to have happen with my mindset to align to that goal? The second thing that I did, and I see so many of my clients do this, and so I always call this out, is lowering the goal when you don't hit it. So for example, you're trying to sell an event and you want to sell 100 tickets, but you sell 25. So now your goal is 30. And this almost always comes from unexamined negative emotion. So you're usually feeling an emotion like resignation or apathy or disappointment or sadness or inadequacy. You try to shove that feeling down and then just change the goal so that you don't have to feel that. But that doesn't require you to stretch yourself, figure out why you haven't hit the goal, and then change your behavior in order to hit the goal. Now, I'm not going to lie. This feels like shit. When you set a goal, you keep it the same, you don't hit it, and then you have to go back out in the arena and try for the same goal again. It is hard. But what it does is it requires resilience and high-level problem-solving. So after I had this realization in my coaching program, I stopped changing the goal. I set it at 10 people. And then I was like, not only am I going to sell 10, I'm going to sell until I hit 10 people. And then I'm going to sell 10 people again and make it more effortless and more peaceful and more smooth. And so I did that multiple times before I allowed myself to raise my goal again. Now, there are exceptions to this. There may be times when you want to decrease the goal if you cannot handle the level of frustration or disappointment. But more often than not, what I'll recommend to my clients is keep the goal, process through all the negative emotion that's coming up for you, and then get back out there in a different way, knowing what you know now because you've done the work of evaluating what happened and you know how to do it differently this time around. All right, there you have it. All of the best practices that I have gleaned from doing it wrong a hundred different times, a hundred different ways. And lucky for you, you get all of my best learnings digested into a doable, repeatable process in Half Finished to Done Live. And I've taken into account all of the common mistakes that I've made and that every single one of my clients has made early on in the program. Every single time I see a recurring pattern, I figure out a way to teach it to my clients or to prevent it with my clients. So you are getting a very streamlined process that already takes into account the areas where most people struggle. 
So know that when you do come into the program and enjoy implementing these best practices with your projects. Take care and see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Half Finished to Done podcast. If you're ready to become a self-assured repeat project finisher, the best place to work with me is in my eight-week group coaching program, Half Finished to Done Live. You'll leave our time together with one finished project and the skills you need to finish any project, personal or business, in the future. Just head to peakcoaching.co slash HFD live for your next step. Can't wait to work with you.